there was something about the predictability of writing code and the repeatability and the consistency that like spoke to my soul. I think because of that chaos I grew up in that I just like fell in love and, and just went all in and just kept trying to build businesses. And I would love to say that like I, you know, crush it, but I didn't. I literally started at 17 in like full earnest, like writing code, starting companies, nobody buys, shut it down, do the next thing. And it took like seven years until I was about 24, till I finally found any like business success. You're listening to Hawk Talk, a podcast all about the origin stories of the most interesting people in the world. Today, you know our guests as famous athletes, authors, and entrepreneurs, but there's so much more to this story. Let's get into today's interview with your host, Eric Huberman. You're listening to Hawk Talk. I'm here today with Dan Martell. How are you? Eric, what is up, my friend? Super excited to be here. And I've got an intention I want to set. I want this to be the best podcast episode you've ever done. I know it's high. It's crazy that I say that, but I'm setting that intention. Yeah, high bar, but I, yeah, we're going to do it. We're going to make it happen. So to start out, I assume like the day you're born, you came out with just a ton of sass. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. It's, what's, what's nuts is, is like not only was you know a, a challenge growing up, I mean, I, I came from like a deficit. And I, I say that because you know, I grew up in a household where my mom had a severe drinking problem. My dad was in sales and traveling quite a bit. And I was the second oldest of four, older sister, no older brother, no real guidance in life. And got diagnosed with ADHD when I was 11, ended up developing a pretty severe, like, you know, some, some like anger issues and behavioral challenges at home. And Ended up getting taken out of my home and put into a crisis, a crisis center when I was 12, wow. eventually foster care. Yeah, it's like a lot of people don't know this part of my life because they see me today and they're like, you know, because they know my brothers and my dad and like, but we, we as a family went through some really, really challenging times. And I got introduced to drugs when I was 13. And that's pro, that was like definitely like the spiral. Like I just went out of control and trouble with the law juvenile detention when I was 15, got out, made a commitment to myself. I would change my life. I lasted 24 hours back with the same people, back selling drugs. And at 17, I found myself in a high-speed chase in a stolen car with a handgun sitting next to me because I told myself, if police pull me over or catch me, I'm going to just point the gun and let them take my life. And I actually ended up in the neighborhood trying to get away from the police and pulled into this driveway. There was an open garage door and when I pulled in, I was carrying too much speed and I just like smashed into the side of the house and I went for the gun and started pulling on it and it got stuck in the, uh, between the handbag and the hand and the handrail sitting next to me. And next thing I knew the cops grabbed me and threw me in the back of the cop car. And I woke up the next morning in a small town in Eastern Canada, sober. And I wasn't sure what my life was going to look like. And I ended up uh, getting sentenced to almost two years due to the severity of my crime. I did six months in an adult prison wow. and it all connects to the SAS. I trust me. It, it oh, gets yeah, there, yeah. But <laughs> I've known you for what, seven years. I didn't know any of this. No, more no, no. A lot of people I've never like, it's not something I obviously share, but it's, it's a big part of my life today even. So, so what happened oh, was after I got real quick, I literally was in a debate on Facebook with one of our mutual friends, which I won't name right now about like, Oh, all successful people come from rich families and blessed upbringings. And I'm like, uh, I don't know what you're no, talking about. Like, the opposite, probably. I was like, yeah. yeah, I was like, 
definitely not true. And he's like, oh, well, you just have anecdotes. I'm like, literally host a podcast about this. And like, I've gone down a hundred so far and I'm still waiting to find that. There's a couple out of a hundred that have been that, you know, and I'm one of them. I grew up with a successful family that I ended up being able to take some risks and I'm super aware of it. But most people I know in the entrepreneur space come from, you know, adversity, frankly. I call it chaos. And, and the yeah. reason why is entrepreneurship is about dealing with uncertainty. And if you've yep. grown up with chaos, you've developed this muscle of being super comfortable in the unknown. And that was, yep. that was my story. And, yep. you know, it, so it's like after I got out of prison, I ended up in a rehab center. It was like a therapeutic community where I lived and I did 11 months of therapy working on kind of my feelings and, kind of rebuilding my self-worth because I had like literally zero. I mean, I just thought I was such a horrible kid and person that like, I just, that's why I didn't want to live, honestly. And I didn't think anybody would care. And to take a beat, were there things you were passionate about before that? Like, obviously you had these issues, but were like, what else was that it? Were you like drinking? I was a skateboarder. So I grew up skateboarding. I would say I was very, very passionate about skateboarding, snowboarding, another, like, as you know, you and I do an incredible trip every year. And, but you know, that culture, the skateboard culture is why I got in trouble. I mean, I was literally running away from home at 14 and going and skating downtown and then sleeping out by the farmer's market and like staying at friends' houses that were like, you know, five, six, seven years older than me. And they're the one, that's where I kind of got around the wrong people. But yeah, no, I didn't do anything else. It's kind of weird. Like people, you know, I'm 6'3", 220 pounds. People are like, oh, you played hockey. Nope. You played any sports? No. Like I, I literally just got in trouble. I was I was like really good at getting in trouble. My dad used to joke, he's like, if you could just find something you were passionate about that isn't illegal, I think you'd do well. Yeah. Turned out he was right. It just took me a while exactly. to get there. But that's what happened. I, I ended up doing 11 months in rehab to like kind of rebuild the trust with my family that I'd lost and and kind of re just really understand who I was and like make amends. You know, they followed the 12 steps uh, kind of philosophy. And yeah. it was at the end of that program that I was um, helping Rick, the maintenance guy, clean out one of the the place I was at was built on an old church camp and there was a cabin that was full of stuff and we were cleaning out this cabin in one of the rooms there was this old 486 computer is 1996 97 and then on the right side of it was this yellow book on java programming and I just opened it up and started reading I never touched a computer like I was just like oh and it was like if this then that and I was like oh well, I thought computers would be like zeros and ones and I followed the the book and within 20 minutes I got the computer to say and print out hello world and I thought I was a genius dude I was yeah. like oh my gosh like I can't believe I did the thing that the book said to do. And then I was like, yeah. okay, what is chapter two? And then it was like this if statement in chapter three. And I just kept following it. It was <laughs> funny is that you're in rehab. You were like, just happened to find a computer in the place you were doing rehab. It's bananas. Like yeah, I, 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 and what's funny is the story I told myself at the time is like, maybe my brain was wired for computers. And that's why I always struggled in school and I didn't pay attention because I just became obsessed. I literally it became my new addiction. I literally got sober and then replaced it with writing code. I mean, if you uh-huh. talk to my family, like growing up 18, nine, all I do is write code. And that's where I got into entrepreneurship. And it turns out like business is the ultimate personal development program. Like I, yeah. I just happen to like go from like selling drugs to building software tools and the internet. I found out about this small thing, you know, 97, 98, <laughs> kind of good timing. And that was like, there was something about the predictability of writing code and the repeatability and the consistency that like spoke to my soul. I think because of that chaos I grew up in that I just like fell in love and, and just went all in and just 
kept trying to build businesses. And I would love to say that like I, you know, crush it, but I didn't. I literally started at 17 in like full earnest like writing code, starting companies, nobody buys, shut it down, do the next thing. And it took like seven years until I was about 24 till I finally found any like business success. I, I struggled. My dad would like beg me to get a normal job and I'm like, I can't. Like I just I'm too judgmental. <laughs> like I have too many opinions. I'm unemployable. And and like I just kept failing and then doing contract work to try to like eat. And yeah, and I'll, like, I'll be honest with you. Like building contract work, you mean? I was right no, sorry, writing code, like software okay. contract. Yeah. Got it. I never I had one job once. I lasted about nine months when I was twenty. And then ever since then, I was just like an independent software programmer online doing contract stuff. But what changed for me was when I was 23, it was almost exactly as crazy. 20 years to the day, I was on break at lunch and I was in in Ottawa, Canada. And I went to the mall to get some food and there was a bookstore. It's called Chapters in Canada. You know, I don't know what it is in the US, but I literally, I, I never read a business book prior to that. I was reading computer books, but I never read a business book. And I, and I, cause I had pretty severe ADHD and I found this like CD called Love is a Killer App, this, this audio book on CD by this guy named Tim Sanders, who, um, he was the ex chief solution officer at Yahoo. And I think it's cause he was at Yahoo and I was in software and like, you know, love is a killer app and killer apps is a software thing. I was just like, oh, I'll buy it and listen to it. You know, and I went yeah. back to my desk and put the CD in this, the, the computer tray in the computer and just sat there for like four hours. I didn't do any work. I literally started listening to it and just got paid to listen to this audio book. And, but that, that 20 years later went from, I've, I think I've read over 1500 books to finally now writing my own. Like it took yeah. 20 years to finally do it, but it's just like, I still remember listening to the first book thinking, man, wouldn't it be crazy to write a book to have an impact the way this book is impacting me? Like someday, maybe like just so, yeah, I just, that's been my journey, man. And just like, like that company when I started was 24, exited that when yeah, I was 28. That was called Spheric Technologies. We're an enterprise portal software company. So we, uh, this is back 2004, 2008 timeframe. So it's like yeah. intranet, the, yeah. you know, the internal web pages for companies. Yeah. We became world-class at that out of Eastern Canada. All of our customers were in the US. We had customers in Warsaw, like all over the world. Uh-huh. And uh, that was that was because I read that book that led me quickly onto the E-Myth, right? That yeah. I hired an E-Myth coach, this guy named Bob. So I like called E-Myth. I was like, I need a coach. Like I can't, can't fail again. Like I, my, I literally, I was just like, I got to try something different. So I hired this guy, Bob. I'm paying him 1500 bucks a month for two calls. US, I'm Canadian, real money. And and dude, it was the best money I ever spent. He literally yeah. taught me all the dumb stuff that I didn't do that I didn't even know I should do in business. And he loved working with me because like I was 24 at the time. So he'd like tell me, go do these things. Like cold call a hundred people. The next in two weeks, I'd be like, how'd the calls go? I'd be like, here's how it worked. Like yeah. I just had no like I didn't question anything. And and yeah. Right or wrong, it didn't matter. It's just literally, I was just willing to take action and that action turned into momentum. And then next thing you know, like I think within 16 months, we did a million in revenue. And I, honestly, this is what's crazy, Eric. I remember my accountant calling me uh, year three. He goes, his name is Mark. And he goes, uh, hey, dude, do you want to hear something cool? And I'm like, yeah, what's up? He goes, uh, you have a million dollars in cash in your bank account. And I'm like, <laughs> is that good? He's like, uh, yeah. And I'm like, really? You're like six years old at that point? I, 
Yeah, it's twenty six, twenty seven. I was driving a two thousand four Jetta diesel car. Yeah. Like I didn't, I didn't. Nobody knew I had money. I honestly didn't know I had money because I was just so busy building and growing. As you know, like yeah. when you're building, yeah. there's a cash component of it. And what happened is we changed our pricing to get people to pay up front for yeah. stuff. So then all of a sudden the cash flow got better, and it was yeah. instead of like being the sound of money flying out of your business because you're growing one hundred fifty percent a year. Yeah it started to actually accumulate. And he, it was so funny that like, I didn't know, but the truth was, is it didn't matter because like the reason why I've always built companies is I just, I love the people. Like I know yeah. you guys at Hawk, it's the same thing. It's yeah. like, I love the, I love the idea of being responsible to create employment. I love the opportunity to serve customers. I love yeah. the, the training ground that it produces to be a better person. Like I want to scale a company. It means who do I need to become? I got to show up. Yeah. And um, yeah. And then, yeah, I mean, all I've ever done was build software companies and exit them. And then about five years ago, I started coaching uh, because of my YouTube channel. And now I run the largest CEO coaching organization for software founders called yeah. Sales Academy. It's crazy. And so you went 2004, 2008, you built that. Why'd you sell it? Why'd you get out? So the company called Function One out of the U.S. I, I exited it because honestly, I didn't know any other like I like you'd hear in business like that's what you do, and like we yeah. had won a bunch of awards, fastest growing company in Canada, and I won Entrepreneur of the, of the Year award from our bank BDC, and like this company was really they were one of our top partners, and they had a bunch of divisions, and they had probably like yep. 300 employees, so it just it just like felt right, but in hindsight, honestly, like knowing what I know now. I shouldn't have sold it because it was incredibly profitable. I en I was enjoying it. I was only four yeah. years in. And knowing what I know now, I would have just hired a CEO to run the company. But it was cool. Here's why it wasn't cool. is because right after I sold it, Eric, and, and I don't know if you are there in your career, but what happened for me is I put... My whole identity was this company. Okay, like yeah. I'm talking like I was working 100 hours a week. Yeah. All I ever did, it's what I was... My identity was like my self-worth was tied to this company. There was yeah. no separation. It was like one. And the the day I exited, I had a six-month advisory agreement because we'd, we'd been working with them. So they knew our company and our team and my leaders. And so there was yeah. not a big need of a transition um, or a significant earnout. And I remember, I like clear as day, where I was the moment I woke up and realized nobody cared if I did anything. And I was... Yeah. I got, dude, I, I ended up having anxiety attacks. It's so crazy yeah. to say, because these are like first world problems. Okay. I get no, people yeah. listening. And they're like, like multimillionaire. Okay. Cash yeah. in the bank. And I was having anxiety attacks because there was this like sense of like loss and emptiness in my soul. Cause I didn't, I didn't have a purpose. It sounds weird, yeah. but I like, I reached out. I ended up having to hire a therapist, this guy, Manuel. Yeah. And he had this funny accent and, you know, and he's talking to me about like, oh, it's not, he, it was like, so like he, he like seen this a thousand times and he yeah. like made me walk around with a rock in my pocket. And he's like, anytime you have an anxiety attack, squeeze it. He did give me some great advice, which I love. He said, um, yeah, he goes, do you have a boat? I'm like, no, he's French. And I, I go, he goes, you need a boat. You need to be on the water. The water will cure you. The salt water. And I was like, okay like twist my rubber arm. So I ended up buying this like brand new wake surf boat, a Yamaha. And I'll be honest, man, it definitely helped. But I also, <laughs> I also learned that <laughs> it, for the rest of my career to this day, I will never tie my personal identity to 
biz, book outcome. I don't yeah. care. I'd, it's going to be, I would hope it's a bestseller. Great. If it doesn't, not going to change my life. My companies I've exited since then, the company I built after, I just, I decided that who I am and my value is not tied to an external thing. So yeah. it sucked at the time going through that. But it became one of the biggest lessons that I've continued in my life and that I actually coach a lot of CEOs on today that I work yeah. with that, that are in that, in their headspace. Yeah, yeah, you got to be careful with that. It's, it's crazy. I see more anxiety common amongst CEOs than anyone. And I'm talking successful, wealthy CEOs. I don't mean up and, like, up and coming founders deal with a lot of shit. But I've actually seen, like being in YPO, you see the people that have exited that are trying to figure out, those are the people that I see the most anxious looking for therapy, looking for group help, you know, suicidal thoughts, literally, like, because they just made a boatload of money. And and there's also, I think part of the challenge for them is you said it yourself, like, yeah, you're a multimillionaire. There's not a lot of empathy for it either, but it's some psychological. Zero. Yeah. They're like, yeah, get, get over it. Even for yourself, by the way, I think it's part of the challenge. You're looking at yourself going, the fuck am I complaining about? I was, I judge myself so hard because Eric, I was, I'd always kind of like prided myself on being this mentally tough person yeah. and here i was and my body was having a physical reaction like and i yeah. couldn't stop it like i remember yeah. i went to the gym and i had a freaking like it's like i'm having a heart attack yeah. and i'm like no i'm stronger than this and it's like holy shit i gotta admit that like it just is and i gotta go like get some help and all this stuff but yeah, yeah i was i mean the beauty of i think life is just like i can point to several of those like big moments and challenges that just allowed me to just because i have like a growth mindset you know like i'm and when I'm going through it, I know it's going to suck, but I'm also like looking for that seed of opportunity that Napoleon Hill yeah. talks about in Think and Grow Rich. It's like, where's that seed? What's the new, what's the new high watermark too? That's the fun part, right? So it's yeah. like laying people off. I mean, I've been through three market ups and downs, 2001, 2008, 2000, like now, like it's just, you just go with it and, yeah. and just trust that there's a new level you'll, you'll learn from those challenges. Agreed. So on that note, you got out in 2008. How quickly until you got back into it and started your next thing? Lasted about a year. And here's how yeah. I put it off a bit longer. I actually hired a full-time CTO, Scott. He worked for yep. me writing code, building cool stuff. I met this guy, Ethan. He was a young cat. I moved to San Francisco. That's like, cause right. I was like, I, I, you know, I felt like a, a big fish in a small pond. Mm -hmm. And I was like, if I don't get out of here, I'm going to wake up in 15 years. I'm going to be fat and hungover. And cause <laughs> I'm just going to live off this money. But I'm yeah. not going to do anything. I, I could, I literally, the boat didn't help. Like I saw this trend line <laughs> of me waking up and like being 40 years old, hanging out with 25 year old girls on my boat. And I was just like, okay, I got to go do something with my life. <laughs> and I moved to San Francisco and um, yeah, I met this kid, Ethan. He was probably like six years younger than me. And I just spent a year, I, I literally said, I'm going to take a sabbatical. I'm going to just like learn marketing. I, the growth growth hacking wasn't even a term then. Before that, we were calling it metrics-based marketing. But I met all these like Eric Reese and Sean Ellis and Andrew Chen, like some of the original people in the space. And I would just do these two-week growth initiatives with different startups for free because I didn't have to work. I wasn't a consultant. Yep. And um, that was through that process, I started to see this social marketing platform opportunity. And, I, and originally, I gave it to Ethan. I was like, you yep. do it. Scott, give him the code. We built this thing. It like you literally connected this JavaScript to your application. It would tell you if influencers signed up for your products. It's very basic. But yep. even today, if I you can't there that doesn't exist. Like it's kind of crazy, yep. but we built it, company called Flowtown. And you know, I gotta give credit to Ethan. He was very quick to realize like, hey, there's momentum here. He wanted yep. me involved. 
And he's like, Hey man, I think we should raise some money. And I'm like, dude, you got the code, you got the customers. Why do you need to raise money? He's like, you know, why did you move to San Francisco? And I'm like, all right. Okay. You're, you're pulled. Cause that was like, that was the thing. I thought I'm going to go there sabbatical. Eventually I'll start something. It's going to be big. Yeah. I'm going to raise money yeah. and I'm going to do the whole Silicon Valley thing. Gave myself yeah. 10 years. That was the goal. So yeah. after about a year, 2009, Ethan convinced me to be his, uh, his a pitch was non-employee co-founder. That was my title. Cause I said, I don't want to do it. And he's like, okay, I'll be CEO. You're a non-employee co-founder. We're going to go raise this money. We ended up raising a million dollars by all these awesome VCs, baseline ventures, freestyle. Yeah. 2009, right after the crash. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But we, uh, yeah, we raised a million bucks and, but we were already ramen profitable. Like we, both of us had a, like a kind of a kind of hustle culture of like, we, we knew how to sell. We knew how to code. We were willing to like do marketing. We, we were using back then dig. I don't remember like dig used to be like the, yeah. So people are like, how'd you get all your customers? I was like, the truth was I I wouldn't have told you then. Cause if I tell you, then you'll do it. But we built a blog using infographics. There's actually a company out of LA called column five. I don't know if you ever ran across them, but C5, they did all these crazy infographics. So we hired them to do our content marketing, worked with like a team of like 25 dig top diggers. And we, every time we publish these infographics and then we were getting hundreds of thousands of unique visitors to our blog and then turning those into customers. And it was an awesome ride. Like Flowtown was a lot of fun. We got an office in downtown San Francisco. Well, not downtown, but in the mission. And it was it was that Silicon Valley story, man. Went to the events, uh, spoke at things, grew the company. And then uh, two about two and a half years later, we got acquired by a company called Demand Force. And it was yep. it was a game changer. And yeah, I lasted. It was funny as I told myself, I'm going to chill. And yeah. I lasted three months at the acquire. That one I had an earnout. And yeah. uh, that's when I came with the idea for Clarity. A lot of people know me for Clarity.fm. It's yeah. a marketplace for entrepreneurs to get advice over the phone. And yeah, um, yeah. And, then, and then I built Clarity. Same thing. So I was like, like three months in. How long was your earnout supposed to be? Out, this is a great story. I'll tell you. It was, it was supposed to be, it was a year. So I had a year earnout and it was like, it was like almost eight figure. Like it was a significant, it wasn't like, it was a lot. Right. Yeah. And so I'm working at this company and I come up with this idea for clarity and clarity was a productivity app. Initially, it was a call list. That's all it was. It was like, here's a yeah. link, add yourself to my call list. I'll call you when I'm free. But then I had this idea of the marketplace and then adding yeah. a payment system and a charity thing that was yeah. like clarity for charity. And I just couldn't sleep at night. Eric Reese was like, you should do this. And all these other people's my other buddy, Heaton Shaw was like, yes, you should do this. And so one day I'm at the company demand force. The statute of limitation hopefully has run out, but I'm I'm sitting at the company and I would only I call my lawyer Josh and I was like, Hey, I got this idea. I don't want to get in trouble. He's like, definitely do not touch the work computer with the code. Yeah. You know, do it. And he was even like, if you want to be safe, I'll give you a release form that you get them to sign. And I was like, that's a bit much. So, anyways, I'm like sitting at the the company and I do a Shervin. Do you remember Shervin Pishavar? He invested in Uber. So, his new company. Cool. So Shervin, I'm at Demand Force and I got to call it Shervin because I had like, he had heard about this thing I built and I do a demo with him and he's like, whoa, this is really cool. And he gets me excited and it's like noon. I think it was over lunch. And then at one o'clock, I go back to my office and I sit down. I just finished doing this demo with Shervin. And then I'm like, screw it. I'm going to go raise a round. And I got in an Uber, said, I'm going to Sand Hill Road. He starts driving down Sand Hill Road and I'm like, okay, 
I need you to get off like the meter. Like, let's, how about we stop the app? I'm not going to pay for like five hours. I didn't know what I was going to do. And, yeah. um, I gave him 500 bucks and we had to stop and get some food because I didn't even get to eat because I was having that meeting with Sherman. Yeah. And all I did, this is what I did, Eric. I, I texted all the investors we had met when we were raising for Flowtown and yeah. friends of mine because they all live there. It's such a weird place. Yeah. Like Sand Hill yeah. Road, it's like 2,900 of your competitors all in the same few yeah. buildings. So I would just text them. I was texting like, all these people. And I was like, Hey, I've got this new thing. You want to see it? And they're like, yeah. Cause you know, if you make money for investors, they're usually pretty quick to say yes and meet with you. And the Uber driver, I was telling him about it and he's like, Whoa, that cause he was an Uber driver. So he's like, Whoa, it's like Uber for advice. And I'm like, exactly. So, um, we're driving down and I would do these seven minute demos. I literally would walk into like a VC's office. I say, Hey, pull out your phone, go to clarity.fm. He's like, okay, Facebook connect. All it was was Facebook connect. And then it would show me my admin interface that they had connected. I would call them through Twilio, use Twilio. And I'd leave their office, go in the conference room, talk to them about the idea. They're on the phone with me. And yeah. then I'd come back in the office and I say, check your email. And they check and it had made like $7 and 42 cents. Yeah. And I go, that's the idea. Everybody's got a social media account, have followers. They want to monetize it. It's the easiest way to monetize their followers. I got to go, but I just wanted you to see it. They're like, well, we're raising money. And I'm like, no, nah, I don't think so. Like I'm, I'm going to self-fund it, but you know, I've got a bunch of meetings. And then what happened was as quickly I'd realized that like in the admin interface was all the investors I just met with. So yeah. by the seventh or eighth, I would show them the app, yeah. but I wanted them to see the names of the investors so that yeah. they knew that I was meeting with all these investors and they were using the product. Dude, we ended yeah. up doing 1.7 million on a prototype with no yeah. revenue and 21 days. Like, yeah. so like that was the bet I made to go do it. it. It was so bad. Like demand force, the CMO who really championed the acquisition. When I sat down to like tell him Ethan was there, my co-founder was in my office. He was so mad that he like almost attacked me physically. He's like, you know, he swore at me. He's like, you knew you weren't staying. You convinced us to buy your company and you're going to screw me and the board's going to be pissed off. And, and I was like, dude, A, you got to chill out. Like I did not mean to do this. And the other thing was, is after they bought us, like, you know how it is. They're like, oh, we have all these promises in the world and all yeah. this stuff. And then you, then, you know, strategies change. And then all of a sudden, yeah, we're not going to be able to invest in the platform the way we thought. And now we need you to help yeah. out with this other thing that you didn't know about. So. Yeah. I ended up leaving, walked away from my earnout, and within six weeks, Ethan calls me up and he goes, "Dude, you wouldn't believe what just happened." I said, "What?" He goes, "We got an email. Intuit just bought Demand Force for six hundred million dollars." And I was like, "Amazing!" Because Rick, the CEO, is a great guy. Even though you know yeah. they were mad at me, I was still like happy. Yeah. And he goes, "But dude, your stock, like the way the contract was set up, is on on a transition of ownership. It it, it vested all the stock." So I ended up getting the earnout. Oh my god. Dude, you can't make this stuff up. Like that's, that's why like a long time ago I heard this this quote that the world rewards courageous decisions yeah. and I kind of am like I doubled down on that. I I I just made a bet on myself that I could go create more value in a year doing my own thing than sticking and like yeah. essentially I did that with the you know we raised I think 7 million pre. So like yeah. there was that and I didn't have co-founders so I had that business and equity. And then yeah. I ended up getting the earnout. As long as it's funny as as long as Ethan. Did you ever meet Ethan at Baldface ever? He's the reason why we started going. But anyways, the rule was is he had to stay for the following of the time. So that that was like the only stipulation. He's like, as long as I stay, you get your earnout. I'm like, dude, like, what do I need to pay you? He's like, no, no, it's all good. So the rule was is I would pay for his ski trip every year for the rest of his life. 
Bald face got too big for him. He's a bit of an introvert. So like when it became like from 12 people to 24 to now the whole lot. So now I just pay for other stuff when we hang out. But, um, yeah, that's, that's the, the clarity story. It was just a a nutty journey of just taking action and seeing what would happen. I know we only have a few minutes, but tell me the arc of clarity in a nutshell. What ended up happening there? Yeah. I, I mean, it was successful from a perspective of investors. They made like a triple. The uh-huh. the challenge was is the vision I had turned out not to be um, plausible. And what I mean by that is I had a vision of every person with a social media audience monetizing through clarity. Yeah. The reality of it is if you just take first principles of like who pays for advice, yeah. it's not every entrepreneur. Right. It's not every human in the world, for one thing. It's not every business owner. I mean, most entrepreneurs don't even read a book. So it's like not even the people that read a book. It's the people that go to events. And that's even a smaller subset of the entrepreneurial community. And then in the grand scheme of things, like where's the market for this? It's it's investors. I mean, there was a built-in market of Gershman Lehman Group and other expert networks, they're called. So I just, I ended up like we made the business successful, but I pivoted it away from this like, wanting to make knowledge and advice and like Google launch help outs. And like a lot of people were trying to do something in this space and some people did video and I knew video wouldn't work. It's a higher friction. It's like just getting yeah. two people on a phone call is tough, let alone a video call. And yeah, yeah we ended up selling it to a company called startups.com still exists yeah. today, still thriving. Will's an awesome founder and is, is, yeah. is he's, delivered he's on his word. But yeah. um yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't literally, I was like, this is going to be the billion dollar opportunity. But it's like everything. It's like you sometimes yeah. have to pivot out of the area you're passionate about. And then yeah. you got to reassess. It's like, do I want to yeah. do this for another decade? Because like my rule is anytime I start something, I ask myself, do I want to do this for 10 years? Yeah. And if I'm not willing to say yes, I don't even start. Yeah. So I've been doing my YouTube channel for seven. I got three more. I'll probably keep doing it because I'm having a blast. But like, yeah. I remember even that was like, will you do a video every week for 10 years? Answer is yeah. yes. All right, let's do it. And the podcast, it's a, it's a real commitment because it's not just sitting down and doing it. It's also the organization that goes into what are you doing? Now, I saw your post about chat GPT, like great usage of it. So <laughs> good. A whole other topic. Uh, so you sell Clarity and then what got you into SaaS coaching? Because that's what you did next, right? You started yeah, coaching. I pretty much uh, I moved down to San Diego, living in the Mission uh, Mission Beach area. And, uh, you know, Sa- San Diego is kind of like Silicon Valley for internet marketers, right? It's like... Yeah. It's like LA for actors, you know, energy healers and all those people down in San Diego. And, yeah. and I ran into this guy named Travis and he was, he had known of clarity. He'd followed me for a while because I was blogging and tweeting and stuff. And he's like, dude, you should start a YouTube channel. And I was like, ah, and it, I remember the feeling inside that I got like super nervous. I was like, Ugh, I would not. And what's crazy. I still have the videos. I don't know if I'll ever publish them, Eric. They're so bad. Like I got blotchy red in my face and I was stuttering. I did it at this guy's off. It was like a duplex that he rent out as a studio. So it was like in the kitchen and a big white thing. And I was trying to talk and my hands are moving. It's like, what do you do with your hands? It was so bad, but luckily I didn't give up. And and that's what kind of kicked it off. So I did that for like a year and a half and built this audience and people started asking me to get involved in their business. And I started by doing a group coaching program for all entrepreneurs. I did that mm-hmm. for two years. And then Todd Herman, our buddy, he's, yeah. he calls me up and he's like, dude, you're the only person, you know, Todd's very, he's very direct. Yeah. It's like, you're the only person I know can legitimately coach just software tech founders. Why are you messing around with this other thing? And I was like, I like business. And he's like, Makes no sense. You're you're stepping over dollars to pick up pennies, and I'm like, 
he wasn't wrong, dude. Like Eric, he was, he's, he's telling me the same advice I give my clients. So I was like, Oh crap. He's right. And the next day, I'm not even joking. I called my team up and I said, I'm shutting this down. And we were doing like 1.7 million in revenue. Like it wasn't a small thing. It was like yeah. a, like as a coaching business, people would love that. And yeah. I literally told the team, we're shutting it down. I gave them a month and we're going to transition. We had like 30% of our customers are software and we ended up starting SaaS Academy and it's been five years. And now we have, I mean, it's a, it's a major eight figure company. We've got a thousand active clients. We coach, I have a whole team of coaches. It, it's become a, a really cool place for me to like work on my craft and then also build these growth framework. And this is an unfair advantage. And then I use them in, in, in my investment company, High Speed Ventures. So I literally built all the playbooks for growth working with clients that I then reuse to work with companies I invest in and I buy. And that, that's what I do with my time. And then, you know, whenever I have a spare moment, I write a book. But say, so let's hear about the book. So this has been your newest two and a uh, half book. years. It's called Buy yeah. Back Your Time. Why I'm excited about it. And like, Eric, I nerded out on this book quite a bit. Like I'll even, I'm going to open this up for you. I put my signature, this is a hardcover. I fought to get this embossed signature on the cover, like blue gold leaf. I mean, it's kind of nerdy, but like I cared about every white face word, um, diagram in the book. Me and my designer, Rich worked on, I mean, buy back your time is, is this idea that you shouldn't build a business that you grow to hate. Most entrepreneurs do. The reason why is that they, they, they hire people to grow their business when they should hire people to buy back their time. And I call it yep. calendar over capacity. Because if you don't do it that way, it's very easy. Usually there's like different breakpoints where you hit the pain line. Most yep. people, it's about 1.2 million and about a dozen employees where you just, you just hate yourself because you wake up every day and you're like managing people and you're doing all this crazy admin stuff. And it just becomes the opposite of why you started a business and you either decide to sell, sabotage or stall. And yep. What I discovered is working with clients is we have to start, you know, with the calendar, you know. So, so in the book, I teach this this methodology called the buyback loop, and it's all about auditing, transferring, and then filling. Because like four hour work week doesn't make sense. You don't buy back your time and then go watch Netflix, right? No, you exactly. buy back your time to then go fill it with things that make you more money or makes you more valuable, right? So, yes, like even exactly. that principle most people don't get right. But yeah. the auditing for me, I mean, I do it every four months. I do a time and energy audit of my calendar because as I get to new levels of constraint, I there's no... there's Eric, you know this because you've scaled the company. Yeah. You can't build a 10 million a year company off $10 tasks. It's mathematically impossible. Yeah. So I wanted to... You know, it's the same stuff I've been teaching my my CEOs of these like very fast growing bootstrap software companies, but it applies to every business out there. It doesn't matter if you like mow lawns or you're an HVAC company or you have a marketing agency. This is the method to scale. You just yep. have to overcome a ton of beliefs that you're having around worth and guilt. You have to understand what your buyback rate is. You need to yep. understand how to delegate and transfer in a way that's efficient. I teach a bunch of different frameworks. And then, you know, there's a replacement ladder. And the, the thing I'm most proud of is I literally give, there's one chapter dedicated to the executive assistant. And I know you've seen me talk about this publicly, but like having somebody own the inbox, own the calendar, I even give not only the folder structure and how to set it up, but even the meeting agenda cadence for how to meet with your your executive assistant every day for 30 minutes to make sure that you feel in control, but yet can delegate with ease. And I'm yep. telling you, like I've read all the other books out there, the E-Myths and the Checklist Manifestos and the Work the System by Sam Carpenter and the 4-Hour Workweek. This is a very unique 
approach to this problem that I think a lot of people are going to appreciate because it's, it's, yep. it's literally 15 years of me scaling software companies distilled into a book that's relevant to all business owners. Can't wait to read it, man. Honestly, um, that is awesome. Uh, last question for you. What would be one piece of advice to any aspiring entrepreneur? It's just someone trying to reach their goals, you know, coming from nothing, whatever it is. Like one piece of advice you either wish you heard or you did hear that really got you set up. I wish I heard this when I was starting off because I think the 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 number one plague for all entrepreneurs is they lack clarity of direction. So what I mean yep. by this is like, and this is true for anybody, team members yep. or, you know, I just like, what am I supposed to do with my life? Like, what is this all about? And here's what I believe. It's two things. One is you become the best version of you you can possibly become. That's one, focus on that. And then two, share that person with the world. And your world may be your newborn, like your family. It yep. could be your community. Yep. It could be your church. It could be social media. It could be the internet, it doesn't matter. But if you actually wake up every day and say, the purpose of my life is to be, become the best version of me and share that person with the world, you can't go wrong. It doesn't matter if you want to build a business or not. It's literally the pattern, the success principle that I think will energize people to find another gear, to find another opportunity that'll allow them to feel fulfilled in life because that's what we're after, right? People say, I want happiness. We don't want happiness. We want to feel useful. We want to feel like we're, we're moving forward, that we have momentum. And this is, this is the philosophy that I've come to that I teach my kids and I teach anybody that wants to listen. I love it. Well, Dan, this has been awesome. Thank you for coming on Hawk Talk. Incredibly honored, Eric. Thank you so much. And can't wait to hang soon. Me too. You've been listening to Hawk Talk. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give us a quick rating for the show. Just tap the number of stars you think this podcast deserves. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.